Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The price you pay. you've given. We're so grateful to be your children, to be gathered here as we await your return. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Luke 24, 1 through 6. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This is the word of our Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we praise you this morning that we can gather. God, we praise you that while we were enemies, you loved us. That while we were living for ourselves in our own glory, you ransomed us from death, purchasing our redemption through the blood of Jesus, who rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death so that we might be raised up with him. God, let us never lose sight of this glorious truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Christ has risen. Nailed it. Awesome. Good morning. There's a lot of you out there. Some I know, some I don't. I'm Patrick. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, it's always a joy to gather and worship, but there's something special about Easter, obviously. The room is a little more full. We have family members and visitors, and we get to celebrate baptisms after we worship here. So Easter is always a great time of fellowship and worship as we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus and the unwavering future hope that we have through him. But... I do want to make sure that we're all aware that what we believe is a little bit weird in the eyes of the world. We need to understand that most of the world does not believe in resurrection from the dead. They don't mind it on Netflix, super popular, but they don't believe that the dead can be raised, nor do they believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
The very pinnacle of the gospel we proclaimed is viewed by much of the world as fantasy. It is for entertainment. But for us, the resurrection is at the very center of the gospel. With, without the resurrection, there is no good news. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. There is no hope of salvation, and this life is all that there is. There is no future hope. Because the resurrection is the divine proclamation from God the Father that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable on our behalf. That the wrath of God has been satisfied and Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, given to us, applied to us. His resurrection is the final nail in the coffin of death for all who believe. This is why Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he goes on and he says, do you believe this? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the sting of death has been removed. There is nothing in heaven or earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have an unwavering future hope in Christ through the resurrection. And so we have nothing to fear in this life because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning until the consummation of his eternal kingdom. And on that day, we will be with him in glory, perfectly sanctified in the presence of God. That is part of the amazing truth of the resurrection. But where I want to spend our time this morning is asking the question, what does the resurrection mean now? What does the resurrection mean for this life is it simply a future hope, or is there hope here and now through the risen Lord Jesus? Because I think a lot of people see the hope that we've been promised in Christ as primarily future. They look at the world and this life, and, and it, we just have to slog through this existence as we hope for heaven, because there's not a lot of hope to be found here. The resurrection of Jesus gives us this warm, fuzzy feeling on Easter Sunday, but many people don't see it helping with, you know, my current struggles, my current pains, with my current fears. Those are just things that we're going to have to bear while we wait for all things to be made new. But what I hope you see this morning is that there is resurrection power there is re resurrection, life, and hope available to all who believe here and now. 
It is promised to all who believe. That's what we read in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays like the most epic prayer ever for these Ephesian believers. He prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. That they would know the hope to which he called them. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what Paul is saying here is that that same power, the same power by which God raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in those who believe. That right now, resurrection power is available. It is working And that's what we want to experience, right? We want to experience the power of the indwelling spirit in our lives. Not just a bunch of biblical facts or ideas, right? A living, supernatural fullness that transcends our circumstances. So this is where we're going. I want to talk about the implications of the resurrection on our life here and now. And the way I want to do this is by discussing three things. Namely, that through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a new authority, we have a new identity, and we have a new mission. And the text that I want to use as our jumping off point is one that you all know. It's very common. It is the great commission of Jesus or from Jesus in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you, commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So After the resurrection, these are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before ascending into heaven. So they're really important. And we're going to jump into that text here in a second. But right off the bat, I'm going to tell you the trickiest thing, the hardest thing about experiencing the resurrection life that is promised through Jesus. I'm just going to give you the answer at the beginning and then we're going to talk more. This is the primary reason we don't experience this promised life more fully or more regularly. And the reason is we have to believe it. We have to believe it. We need faith. That's not even the first point. That's the pre-point. But it's pretty important. Because nothing I'm going to tell you today will likely be new information. You already know these things. But information is not synonymous with transformation. Truth in our minds is not the same as truth in our hearts. We need these truths to saturate our hearts in such a way that they change the way we live and love and what we pursue in this life. We need the reality of the resurrection to renovate our hearts and our lives in such a way that we are transformed. But in order for that to happen, we have to fight for it. 
It takes effort. We must strive for it. Or as Peter says, make every effort to believe that God is who he says he is, that we can trust his word. Because God says, set your mind on things above. Seek the kingdom of God. Meditate on the word. Be constant in prayer. Look to the needs of others. Walk in humility. And these commands, these calls on our lives as the people of God are not rules for Christian living. They're not the new law that replaced the old law. They are the pathway to life and joy. They are our loving Father saying, this is how I created you to find joy in this life. They are the promised resurrection life. But all too often, we convince ourselves that we can spend our days seeking after everything the world promises and then somehow end up with the joy God promises because we went to church on Sunday or because we read our Bible and prayed once this week. And I know that that sounds crazy, but you know it's not that crazy. Much of the professing Christian world lives this way. Their hearts are seeking the same things the rest of the world is, trying to find joy and meaning and purpose in this world. But they're still checking some religious boxes and think that they should experience the joy of Christ more fully. And then, more often than not, they get angry with God because they assume he's not fulfilling his end of the bargain. But what I pray that we see this morning is that if we truly comprehend the reality that through the resurrection we have a new authority and identity and mission, everything changes. You are, as Paul says, a new creation altogether. And so the first point I want to make this morning, which is really the second because we had a pre-point, but we're going to call it number one or it'll get confusing The first point is that through the resurrection, we have a new authority. That's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's an easy verse to speak, pretty hard to truly comprehend and believe. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine, Jesus says. Right? We have lots of authorities, earthly authorities. What we see as authority in this life pales in comparison to Jesus. The most powerful kings and queens, they die. The most influential presidents and princes and all the rulers of the earth die. Alexander the Great was really great, supposedly. He's dead. Nero, dead. Napoleon, he's dead. The majority of presidents over this great country who so many people put so much hope in, they're dead. And the rest of them eventually will be. They couldn't add a single second to their lives with all of their vast authority. But Jesus is eternal. He defeated death. He vanquished death. Rulers rise and fall. Leaders come and go. But Jesus is the one who made all things. And his rule isn't confined to this earth. 
He is ruler over all of heaven and the heavenly beings. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. It is total authority. And the starting place for any faith must be that we are under authority. We must be under authority. We are under and answering to something bigger than ourselves. So when I talk with someone about the gospel, I like to start with this really simple truth. And if you've been around, you know it, so just you're going to know it more now. I like to start with this. There is a God, and it's not you. I know it stings the first time. And I believe that this has to be the starting point. We have to start there because as long as we think that we are the arbiter of truth, right, deciding which aspects of the sovereign God we're going to accept into our lives, you realize you're God. That's what that means. If we're the final say, if we're the authority over our lives, we cannot submit to God. We cannot understand or believe that we are helpless and hopeless apart from the saving work of Jesus. There is a God, and you are not that God. And this God spoke creation into existence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. As Paul so eloquently describes in Colossians 1, 17 through 20, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Or as we read in Ephesians 1, if we continue through that prayer when Paul talks about this immeasurable power at work in those who believe, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. That's authority. Do you believe this? That Christ reigns supreme over all creation. That Christ holds all things together. Because if we do, what on earth do we have to fear? If we do, how can we not lay our lives down and pour our lives out for his kingdom? Christ reigns supreme. So when I say that we have a new authority, that's it's kind of a little bit misleading. It just having new at the beginning of all three sounded good. The authority of Jesus isn't really new necessarily. He spoke creation into being. He has been the authority since before the foundation of the world, but through the resurrection, 
everything changed. Jesus inaugurated the eternal kingdom of God and took his seat at the right hand of the Father as Lord and Savior over this new kingdom. So until this point in redemptive history, there was a hope of grace in God. But Jesus is the substance of that hope. He is the substance of that grace. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so Jesus isn't really a new authority. But because of the resurrection, we have a new kind of authority. We relate in a new way to his authority. We have been invited into a relationship with the God who has authority over everything. The God who, who upholds the cosmos by the word of his power is the same God who died so that we might never fear death again. So that nothing can separate us from his love. And if we believe this, through the power of the indwelling spirit that we are children of the God who has authority over everything, what, what are we going to fear? Our authority is the king of kings, the creator of all things, the Lord and savior of all who trust in him. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have an unshakable hope for this life. We are freed from the societal epidemic of trying to find ourselves, trying to make our mark, trying to prove our value. We are children of the living God. We have an internal inheritance through Christ because we don't only have a new authority, but we have a new identity. Jesus, with all authority, gives us a new source of identity. Resurrection life is nothing short of an entirely new identity. This is why scripture talks of believers as new creations. The old idea of who we are no longer applies. We are something entirely new through the inner working of the spirit. And in a culture that tries to define identity by political parties or sexual orientation or race or religion in a sea of people trying to define themselves by their jobs or hobbies or alma maters or even their clothes, kids, right? Not only kids, but I'm trying to be nice. It's this horizontal grasping to define ourselves by ourselves. But... In Christ, through the resurrection, we're called to a vertical orientation. Our creator God, our Lord and Savior, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, also tells us who we are. Rather than the foolishness of this world trying to find our identity through what we do or what we have, through the resurrection, we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are grafted into a new family. We are no longer defined by the rise and fall of our success and failure or approval of others. We are defined by God's victory over sin and the new life that is ours through him. C.S. Lewis says, 
your real self, your new self through the resurrection will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will only come when you're looking for him. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. When we seek Jesus, he says, we have a new identity. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are children of God, friends of God, servants of God, saints, holy ones, sent ones of God. Our identity is defined by the God who made us and redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. And the final words in Jesus' great commission make that clear that, that we're not alone in this. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, right? Through the resurrection, Jesus is not in some distant universe looking down to see how well we're doing. Like, oh, there he goes again. He is with us and in us and will be until the end of the age, not only that, but Romans 8.34 says that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God interceding for us. That's crazy. Our Lord and Savior has invited us into a relationship with him and is at this very moment interceding for you and for me. He is calling us into relationship, praying that we would understand our new identity in him. Praying that we would grow to believe that his sacrifice has set us free to honor God with our lives, to be our truest selves. Praying that we would understand that our identity is found in him. We are loved. We are children of the living God. And he is with us through every storm. So we have a new authority. We have a new identity. And we have a new mission. The God of all creation didn't just save us and call us his children. That would be awesome. But he also invited us into his plan of redemption in the world. This is our new mission and purpose. But we can't live this new mission or purpose without first understanding that we are under authority, that we have a new identity. Because so many professing believers, they, they want to do this, especially the wonderful type heirs, right? They jump straight to the call. Where's the work? Where's the mission? How do we get this job done for Jesus? They see something to do and they scramble to fulfill the call. But the power and the joy and the hope of this mission is, is that we've been called on flows from the confidence that we are God's children, 
It flows from the belief that the sovereign God of all creation called us and loves us and will be with us till the end. The mission is a response to who God is and to who we are in him. Our new mission through the resurrection of Jesus isn't to gain God's favor. It is to proclaim God's favor and love for all who will trust in him. Just let that sink in. We, we live in a society so desperately searching for meaning and purpose and identity, scouring the world to find, find something or experience something or create something that will give them a sense of meaning. But created things can never find their purpose or their meaning outside of their creator. They just can't. Only our creator God can tell us who we are. Only our creator God can tell us how we were made to live. And he has. We were created to worship him, to enjoy his presence, and to draw people into worship. We've been called to both be and make disciples. So we're not just worshiping and enjoying God. We are inviting people in to worship. We're saying, come and see what the Lord has done. Like That's what Jesus is saying. After Jesus rose from the dead, before he ascends, he gathers his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, all the authority is mine. Heaven, earth, I've got all authority, all control. So here's what I want you to do. As you go out into the world, in your daily lives, in your homes, and in your hobbies, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And he's like, listen, guys, you won't be alone. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So, if you find yourselves at times thinking, who, who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? What gives my life value? Why am I even here? God has answered your question. You are a steward of the mysteries of God. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're a child of the living God. And you've been invited into God's plan of redemption in the world. There's no greater call or mission or identity or purpose in this life. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, the invitation is open. God says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's inviting you into this eternal family today. But to believe this, to experience this resurrection power and purpose in our life, we must humble ourselves before the authority of Jesus. We must humble ourselves. There is a God, and it's not you. We must die to ourselves, to our agendas, to our attempts to find meaning in this world and say, I will trust you. I will follow you. I will die to once what I once loved and pursued and desired so that Christ might live through me.
That is resurrection life. And it is promised to all who believe. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would increase our faith. That you would take the truth of our risen Lord and implant it in our hearts so deep that we cannot remain silent. That we are compelled to proclaim your glory and salvation because we know who our God is, the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all things. God, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand the resurrection power and joy that has been promised when we humble ourselves before you. God, make us a people who worship you in spirit and truth and who draw others into worship to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Praise God from Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.